Many people see contests and competition as being central to the FFA, but where did all these contests come from, and how do we use them? And maybe, how have we misused them in the past? The history of competition. That's today's topic on Owl Pellets. Welcome to Owl Pellets, tips for Ag Teachers podcast. We share research-based tips and tackle the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. The Owl Pellets crew is Kate Shoulders from the University of Arkansas, Marshall Baker from North Carolina State University, Mike Ritalik from Iowa State University, and Brian Myers from the University of Florida. We are your agricultural education resource across the web. All right, Mason Jones and Craig Edwards, thank you very much for joining us today on Owl Pellets. Thank you. Glad to be here. So before we get going here, Mason, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves, and then Craig, you can follow up with after him if you would. Okay, I am a high school agriculture education teacher in Edmond, Oklahoma. It's uh, just north of Oklahoma City, 10 miles, and uh, part of the suburb of the OKC Metro. Uh, this is my seventh year as a teacher, uh, secondary teacher, ninth year in education, and uh, I'm in a three-teacher department. Uh, I teach a lot of intro level classes and a horticulture and a nursery and landscape production class this year um, and uh, excited to be here. Very good. Okay, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, professor of agricultural education at Oklahoma State University. I was a high school ag teacher in Texas for 15 years in the 1980s through the mid 1990s and then uh, worked for oh, almost 15 years uh, to prepare uh, teachers of agricultural education at uh, three different institutions and uh, for about 10 years here at Oklahoma State. Very cool. Well, thank you guys both for being here today. So Mason, why don't you give us a quick synopsis? What are we going to be talking about today? Uh, we're still discussing competitions. And in this case, uh, what has been the historic role that competitions have played in school-based agriculture education? Uh, Earlier, uh, well, it'd be more than a year ago, I started the process with Dr. Edwards through a class assignment doing what is called the historical research narrative. And um, it was something that we had choice in what we wanted to uh, choose in terms of our subject. And so I was really interested in competitions going back to my first five years as a teacher and really loving CDEs even back to when I was an FFA member. And so uh, that was naturally my choice. And I know Dr. Edwards is uh we both share in, in an interest in that and uh, experiences related to that. And so it's been really fun to kind of examine what is the literature throughout history said about competition and its role in uh, education, whether it is a motivating tool or as an instructional approach. And so some of the specific questions that we asked were what was really the philosophical underpinning or the philosophy behind competitions when it began and its origins and uh, what were some of the events, major things that have led to the growth of new contests? And then uh, finally, what are some of the challenges and concerns that have been identified with using competition as an approach and in instruction and in teaching students? I'm really, I'm excited to hear because I've been involved in all this SAE renewal stuff lately. And all of the SAE renewal stuff, what it's basically asking us to do is to take the classroom instruction to take the SAE circle. And then it's kind of saying, let's just forget about the FFA circle for a second and think about these other two free from the award structure we've created. 
And, you know, everything you look at, you started with Stimson and like all these students bringing their own projects from home. And so it was natural to have classroom and it was natural to have SAE. And I know all the origins of that. But at what point did all those boys that were farming decide who can fix this engine best? You know, at what point did that competition come in? I'm excited to figure that out because it's not the origin of that isn't spoken of very often. It started with corn, didn't it? Wasn't there a thing where like, I'm not going to get this totally right. So y'all can tell me where I'm off. But um, like they brought their corn to a fair and beat the adults or something. Well, corn clubs is the origin uh, and one of the earliest kind of examples that you're going to find of competition for youth and agriculture. And then it expanded. And really, when you read, you read corn and it's the thing that came up most often, I guess, through the Midwest and where we grow corn in the corn belt. But there was bread making competitions. There was uh, vegetable and produce competitions of all different types and kinds. And you still see that today. I mean, I just got through with student projects for state fair and it's tied to their SAE to go back to that. And so these students, uh, I think they can be really robust SAEs. A student wants to grow tomatoes and peppers and have a salsa garden. Well, they can enter some of those tomatoes and those peppers in as an exhibit at the state fair for Oklahoma State Fair, Tulsa State Fair for us in our state of Oklahoma. And it can be kind of an outgrowth of instruction and connect to the classroom through horticulture and uh, can really be a great project. But uh, going back to the early 20th century and really the late 19th century, there were there were students kind of drawing a line out and saying, hey, who's who's the best at this? And uh, as a way to motivate students to, to investigate and research and make decisions and solve problems in the field. And so it was very authentic, very pragmatic. And that's the word that we kind of utilize. And that's the philosophy that we pointed to most when talking about what were the origins and philosophy of this uh, when we began. So one of the, the, the lines that was in your paper that really kind of jumped out at me, and I'll read it here. It says, quote, historical evidence suggests that the inappropriate use of contests may have adverse, adversely affected the motivation and instruction of some. Boom. So what, what do we mean? What, how have we adversely affected our students? What did you find and what do we do about that? Yeah, I think maybe the, the nature of contests in themselves is not been the problem, but just the misuse of contest over time has crept in and it's become something that I think anybody with any experience as a, as a teacher in agriculture education and even students that have experienced that know that it's easy to twist what the original intent of these events is set to do and uh, put the cart before the horse there was a lot of that conversation in previous episodes of Al Pellets related to competition. And so um, I think it's no secret that. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Look at this Hold guy. Up. Look at this guy pandering to the jury saying previous episodes. He's leading us to believe that he's actually listened to us before, guys. You think that's true? I've listened to one episode. Now I've listened to more than one, but I listened to one recently uh, that I had a vested interest in. But I was wondering <laughs> where that view came from. I saw the uptick and I wasn't sure who that was. Thanks, Mason. So it's, it's yeah, my mom good. and Mason watched that one. Watched yeah, that one. My mom episode. was really proud of that. Yeah. <laughs> so. I'll jump in real quick, and you know, Dr. Edwards, if you don't mind sharing, um, this area of research is really cool. And Dr. Edwards, for those of you teachers out there, he's one of the national, international specialists, really, in doing historical research. So, Dr. Edwards, what is this? What does this entail? 
So we're wanting to learn about competitions in ag ed. So what did this process that you and um, Mason went through, what did that look like? Where did you find your information? How did this, how did you go about this um, process? Well, maybe just a little bit more background. Mason referred to it a little bit. I teach a course, History and Philosophy of Agricultural and Extension Education. All right. So within that course, we there's a major assignment, and he he mentioned it, historical research narrative. And the students, it's it's wide. They they just have to select something that's in the great ocean of ag and extension uh, research, uh, historically speaking. And Mason was drawn to competition, and I have an interest in that as well. And uh, we just go through a, a lengthy process, uh, the student in particular, of reviewing appropriate literature. And as Mason can tell you well, much of his findings uh, came from proceedings of past National FFA conventions, for example. And then a lot of his findings also came from uh, the Agricultural Education Magazine. And there were a number of other sources as well. But I wanted to go back to to your earlier question. You know, we talked about these corn clubs and tomato clubs and all that. And, you know, you bring your mule and I'll bring my mule. We see who has the best mule, et cetera. Oh, Lord, I just went to one of those, actually. Well, see, Arkansas, there you go. Uh, (laughs) Are you sure it was a mule or would that have been an ass show? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I don't know hey, what kind of shows you're going to. I went to a mule show, but it was not back in the 1920s. I figured in the 1920s it would be like the supreme ass, <laughs> I'm guessing. Well, having said that, uh, I'll continue. Uh, we all think about 1928. You know, that's the red letter date FFA starts. Okay. But you can dial back even before then to the 20s, and I'll read this, National Congress of Vocational Agriculture Students. So these were, were opportunities where students were coming together that were already studying agriculture as a result of the passage of Smith-Hughes, even though FFA hadn't been started yet. And they were having competitions in uh, Kansas City, for example, Kansas City Royal. You already had livestock there. So let's put together a livestock. And before livestock, it was actually dairy. Let's put together some placing classes, et cetera, and let students judge. And then we'll have experts tell us the officials and then we'll have some sort of placings and rankings and presentation of awards. Uh, and then FFA has started officially in 1928, and they begin to formalize some, at that term, time, the word was contest, uh, and got started uh, in that direction with some of the, the basics, like um, uh, creed speaking or maybe something related to having meetings or uh, kind of the big four or five always dairy, livestock, meats, uh, dairy foods or products and uh, poultry. Um, but, and then going back to process, Dr. Baker, uh, these graduate students, they have latitude on what they want to choose, and then they get busy about figuring out well, what might be the most appropriate sources of literature. And just to reinforce again, for ag teachers or maybe with students and their projects in their classes, uh, all the past proceedings as well as the past ag ed uh, magazines are all online, which are a great source of, of information and literature that could be used in class projects with high school ag students uh, in, a, in, a, in a, you know, many different ways. Absolutely. So uh, I've got a question for you, Dr. Edwards. Uh-huh. So I'm, I end up being a little jaded with contests, and I think um, just because it seems like we always add to them and we don't ever 
you know, I wonder when I'm pulling four kids out of a class to go to something that like has nothing to do with anything they touch in their daily lives. Has there ever been a contest that has been um, discontinued because it was no longer deemed relevant? Yeah, the first example that comes to mind, and you can find in Ag Ed magazine where it's got a, the picture on the front cover, is mule judging. Because, that's, yeah, mule judging. Uh, about that? I think when Gary Moore was editor of the magazine, uh, there were some, and you may recall that from your research, uh, Mason. Uh, the point being, you know, agriculture wasn't mechanized yet. I mean, if we dialed back to American farms before World War II, you'd have lots of horses and mules. Uh, so the, there was a mule judging contest. Uh, and that speaks to some other issues beyond just the, the national FFA sanctioned contest or events as they're called now, you know, states have their own special, uh, competitive activities. You go to West Texas, you'll find wool grading. Okay. Yeah. We have, uh, you'll find cotton driving. grading and classing. Uh, you go to Southeast Texas at one time, you would have found rice judging. So, and that speaks to local relevance. And I wanted to make that point because as teachers and you're making decisions, about the competitive activities you're going to try to encourage students to be involved in, you need to think about that. Is this relevant to the type of agriculture writ large that we do in this community or that, that happens in this region? And then related to your question, you know, and I, and I tried to emphasize this with student teachers for many years, career development events. So can this competition be attached to a career that exists in the ag sector. Is it relevant? Is it even close to being up to date? And I'll pick on one of them in particular, and I know there's some people that, that this may be their favorite competitive event, but it's somewhat questionable or has been at times, dairy products. That's exactly what I was thinking. You know, uh, here we got, we got kids tasting milk and spitting it out and deciding it's garlic, you know, because the cows got into some, some onion weed or something like that. Well, is that or not relevant today? Uh, we need to be asking those questions. And, and the best wisdom I ever heard about that came from Glenn Shin at Texas A&M University. And I think the AGMEC people in our profession have done the best job in this regard. Getting industry people at the table to help us make decisions about not just curriculum, but also the related competitive events and let them help guide us. Uh, when I was superintendent of the poultry event uh, for National FFA for several years, we actually had a meeting at the uh, Tyson headquarters because they're a big sponsor of that event to try to meet with some food science researchers to help us update the event, especially in terms of the further process food products. And we did. We came up with some things that could be done that had an industry relevance. So students would be acquiring skills through the poultry evaluation CDE that did relate to the poultry industry in a contemporary way. And that could be applied to any aspect of agriculture that has a competitive avenue associated with it. And, and it's extremely important that, that teachers think about that. Uh, and then it means more to students, too, you know, because you say something they've never touched. Well, they may not have touched a live chicken, but they probably have touched a chicken nugget. Well, that takes you to further process. And are they all 
you know, made the same? Are they different? Are they better? Why are they priced different? Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so. It makes me wonder, is, is there, you know, as you look at originally these, you know, you think back to the early 20s, students were on farms, right? These male students in ag were on the farm. And so even my dad in the 40s and 50s would talk about how, you know, they had competitions, a lot of them ag mech focused, because that was, you know, my dad was building his own operation. He was building his own peanut farm, which ended up being our family's enterprise. So at some point, you know, some would argue that at this point in today's culture, the contests may have eaten the entire program. So, you know, you look now and, you know, there's a lot of FFA chapters where the classroom instruction and everything is completely built around the contest that the student wants to be a part of. So it seems like at some point, this really wonderful thing that grew as a product of, hey, students are on their farms, they're learning, and why not, like, let's all get together and have some fun. Let's see who had the best corn. At some point, it got to where no one was actually raising corn, but they were still really engaged in this corn contest, but it became very inauthentic. Mm-hmm. You know, growing corn in a way that only makes it the tallest, but is completely impractical for real production. So in your research, um, did you guys, what's your hypothesis on when did the turn happen? In my mind, maybe when ag students started to get off the farms and we, I don't know, like where did we, where did that get off the tracks? There, there's been some kind of, you can summarize it. There's some high watermark moments throughout our, the past century, if you want to think about it, where we started seeing that we have a lot of students in our in FFA and in agriculture education, but less and less and less are actually growing up in production, agriculture, and farming. And even today where I'm teaching students in Edmond that have, they begin with little to no ag background whatsoever. And so trying to remain relevant, I think that's something that's been a challenge with CDEs. And then we've, you know, changed many of them to be called LDEs. And so um, you can look at things like uh, they noticed in 1963 with the Vocational Education Act to try and emphasize more off-farm occupations. And then we started to see a growth in some new competitions at the national level. And you can kind of see the proceedings there in the 60s and 70s. We added things like a floriculture contest and uh, some of the other things that are on the chart. And so it's not just been based on animals and the the big ones that Dr. Edwards mentioned. And so then we saw, you know, from uh, some more reform and evolving over time, but I just think we've been behind the time uh, in trying to really evaluate each contest individually and seeing how relevant some of the practicums and applications in those things are. Um, and I think that we, we as teachers kind of just thinking in the classroom when we're meeting either after school or in our practices, are we pointing to why are we doing these things? Uh, is it truly just to go chase ribbons and trophies or are we actually getting something from this that whenever it's all said and done and I graduate high school, can I be like able to practically use the technical skills or skills that I've been able to use? And so that was kind of one of our questions at the end is are, are we still relevant with these contests? Or are they just sacred cows that we're holding on to and we're unwilling to change just because we're worried about, you know, losing involvement in these CDs. So, yeah. Yeah, and I wonder a little bit with that. Um, from what, from my perspective, I almost, it's, I don't think it's the students and them getting off the farm. 
Um, it seems to be, as you were saying, Mason, these sacred cows for teachers, you know, you talk to a lot of teachers and they say, well, we won this, we won this. You didn't win squat. You trained a team. Mm -hmm. You didn't win. It's your students doing the work. And, um, we actually had, I've heard of this in a state that will remain nameless where they were this, I don't even think the students knew about this. They were, um, doing like a if you attend so many events, right? Like it was a, like a, a checkbox thing where you got tally marks and then there was like an outstanding chapter that went to them as, as many things as possible at the end of the year. And um, partway through the year, they had to discontinue it because the teachers were cheating. And I don't even think the students knew about this thing, but the, you know, the, the state director had to get up and be like, we can't have nice things because you guys are ruining it. And it was all the teachers It had nothing to do with the, the students and their actual, like the learning that they were getting out of it. And so I know um, kind of recently we had a podcast where we focused on the losers of CDEs. And I think Mason, that gets back to a little bit about what you were saying. Like, what is the drive here? Is this a learning experience for our students? Does it, as Dr. Edwards said, lead to career development or are we just chasing a plaque that we can keep on our wall after the students graduate so that we can you know for some kind of unofficial clout for teachers did you find anything that talked about where that teacher driven cde competition came about yes uh and and what what i found early and often was that for as long as we've been doing contests which we said it precedes the actual ffa there's been criticism applied to contests. And so it's, it's a head scratcher in many ways because um, I've, I've really dug through and find, found any article I could find from proceedings or from the Agriculture Education Magazine or Journal of Agriculture. And um, you can go back to uh, the 30s, 40s, 50s and see from teachers in service and teacher educators um, some, you know, just it's repeated every decade. Um, kind of warnings and red flags for the misuse of competitions. And it's kind of on behalf of the teachers and perhaps some of the way in which these comp contests are set up at the state and national level and the reward systems for contests. Because I know we've discussed how um, when we just look at a ranking and my team or my individual won first place, uh, we can be really proud of that. But we, we can sometimes ignore the fact that we're not necessarily developing a mastery or um, competence uh, to a level where we should say that we really know the subject well. And so um, rather than rating students on their percentage that they received in a score, we often just look at a ranking. And even at the national level, uh, not to criticize too much because they do give a bronze, gold, and silver, but um, that is still a lot of ways based on a ranking. And, and for Oklahoma, that's how our state contests are. And so when we, we aren't first, you know, a lot of the times uh, some students, it is less meaningful to them. And maybe they either just, you know, they're fine just to go and experience it. Um, but they're not really driven by the, the instructional value. And then they're not, there's a lot of t cases in which the teachers aren't really driven uh, by the instructional value. They're driven by the trophies. And so I think it can be um, driven a little bit by our reward system that we've kind of developed over the years and just the, the competition ideal of just trying to be the best and beat other people and not about, I want to get really good at working on engines or I want to get really, really proficient in understanding agronomy. See, but what Mason, what, what you just said, it sounds like exactly this new movement with the SAE for all, because 
you know, if every student in your classroom and like forget the three circles, like who cares about the three circles? It's just our job he is said to build. It. He said it and I'm not agreeing. I'm just putting that out there to be recorded. He well, said it saying, and we do like, not agree. Okay, like, so if we can get away from categorizing three circles because they all merge. And like, by the way, that model is not real anyway. It just, we don't even know where it came from. But anyway. Um, Diagram. So um, if we look at the SAE for all, the idea is that kiddos are building a career plan and that the classroom is helping them think about like, what career would I be a part of? So if every single student in all of our classrooms, idealistically, now listen, I understand that we can't get the ideal, but if the ideal is every student has a career plan, okay, this is my interest. I've explored and I'm really interested. I love the artistic, um, the artistic elements of, of floral design. And I really like that. I think I want to own my own business. I think that'd be really fun. And if they get to that point, then there's a contest that supports and augments and motivates them. And it should align with their career plan, idealistically, right? If we look at that model. But I just know for me, I judged entomology because my three buddies wanted to pick a contest that we could go do together. So we just did crops judging, which was specific to New Mexico at the time, and entomology that was specific to New Mexico at the time. It, it had absolutely nothing to do with my career plan. I didn't even have a career plan, by the way. So, you know, ideally, I see how that ideal works, but then there's also this beauty in just creating a fun contest that the kids enjoy. That's what the kids like most about class. So I struggle with, if you force them to align it to their career plan, maybe it's not just as fun and maybe you start to lose some of your power. So it's a really fine line, I feel like. When you yeah. have, and I, I have a lot of students that don't, they'll tell you they I don't know what I want to do. And it's like you said, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I'm an eighth or ninth grade student. And that's when you're trying to get them connected and trying to get them hooked in. And so you may offer some of these things, but I think it is critical to offer choice, to probe interest, and whenever possible, try to align those with what the student wants to do for their career plan. Uh, I totally agree with that. I think what is also uh, kind of a pitfall that I'm certainly guilty of, and I think a lot of teachers can be, is I want to be known as the this teacher, whether it's parliamentary procedure or floriculture or whatever my my interest is, and I want to you know impress that upon students and not give the choice, then that can be a pitfall that a lot of teachers fall into and um, just get good at the three or four things. And you'll be told that a lot of times by other teachers, just master one or two things and then go from there rather than giving it to the students. And so it's important to try and probe student interest for, for whatever you can. Yeah, I want to I have an anecdote I want to share that relates to that and what Dr. Baker was getting at. But but before, uh, about this tipping point, Dr. Baker, and Mason addressed this to some extent, I don't think you can really say, okay, in 1932, that was a tipping point. And I, and I don't think uh, the research supports that. But in one statement about that, Liberty High Bailey, who some of us know, very early ag extension educator, this is attributed to him in 1915 cautioned against the dangers of agricultural contest, especially with students' ownership of work and reward structures. And then the, the person that was went on to, this was Bailey Steele, the fundamental considerations is that all this kind of work is educational. The primary consideration is the effect on the child. In other words, you know, 30,000 foot, big picture, what are we trying to accomplish here? Mm -hmm. Because the, the competitive event is just the vehicle for accomplishing that. 
Now, my anecdote is this that speaks to what you shared a little bit about you and your friends doing entomology. One of, one of the, the most outstanding students I ever had the opportunity to teach and work with, I put him in the top two or three over a 15-year career. He was first-time individual in Texas in poultry judging and was on a national champion poultry judging team. It was his senior year, April, May. He's about to graduate, and I asked him, I said, you know, uh, what's the take-home message here? You know, what is it about your FFA career, so to speak, that you're going to remember that was the most meaningful to you? And his response was, and he didn't hesitate a second, oh, Mr. Edwards, I made a lot of friends. Adolescence, peer affiliation, the power of social interaction. So it was about you and your buddies doing something together that was fun, knowing it was going to get you out of school a little bit and take a few trips, and we'll have a good time. And, oh, by the way, we're going to be good at it and, and win something, and I'm going to beat you. You know that. That kind of stuff. Never underestimate the significance of that when working with people, uh, young people in particular, adolescents, that peer affiliation. Uh and then trying to, to, in a positive way, connect that to career preparation. And I mean that widely, you know, transferable skills that maybe they don't, they're not a specific industry, but just in general, teamwork, cooperation, goal orientation, being more systematic in your approach to studying. I mean, all those quote unquote soft skills, because all of these competitive events, at least potentially represent the opportunity for that. Well, this has been been fantastic. I think bottom line, there's a lot of great information here. I, I think these kind of things are important for ag teachers for us all to go back and look about trying to figure out how we got to where we are. You know, where, how did we get here? And then that helps us kind of understand a few things. Um, you know, the, the big deal here, we talk about good CDEs and bad CDEs and this sort of thing. I think we all could make that list. We, there, we could probably go through and all of us could say, well, this CDE is, is, is disconnected, but this one's wonderful. And if we did that, we'd probably have all the same CDs on both lists. I mean, because mm -hmm. we all have our own preferences and Agreed. we all have our ones that are, that are, that are, we think are, are disconnected. But I really want to pull out, and, and I hope we put this in our infographic, that is, I think I'm frozen. There we go. You're unfrozen. Okay. But I want to point a thing back here to the, uh, recommendations you guys put in your paper. There's four key things here that I th really think that people need to go back and the profession needs to look at a lot. Make, you know, I'll summarize them real quickly, making sure that our competitions are aligned to our curriculum objectives. Are competitions appropriate tools for motivating students because that's what they're supposed to be. Can we, are we using them appropriately to motivate them? What changes do we need to make to correct those things we found there? And then the fourth one goes back to what uh, Kate was talking about. Do teacher evaluation and recognitions approaches properly represent high quality education and instruction or just, you know, success in competitions? And are those disconnected? I'm hoping overall that that's what, if people are listening to this podcast, I think it um, hopefully gives everybody an opportunity to kind of check themselves and think, okay, when I, when I am training my team this afternoon, are the things that we were just talking about, are those what we're, are we making sure that those are happening too? while we're working hard for this contest. So I'm hoping it gives everybody an opportunity to just kind of check themselves and see how can we make sure that we're maximizing this learning opportunity for our students. 
The other thing that's cool is teachers that are listening to this podcast, this is research that was done and led by a fellow teacher. So this was not primarily conducted by a faculty. Um, you know, Mason had faculty support and Dr. Edwards is one of the best in the country, but um, Mr. Jones right there in Edmond um, is the one who did this research. So it's also a neat example for teachers that are researching things in their own practice, that action research right at home. So it's pretty cool for teachers to hear research from a fellow teacher. And so, you know, in the discussion, maybe we can reach out and um, Mason can start the dialogue and get this conversation going. Well, it's great. Competitions are all around us. They're a big part of what we do as agriculture educators. The key is how do we use them appropriately? When do we, how do we make sure we have them set up to, to, to do the, to do all that's good that can happen. Use your powers for good and not for evil, right? Absolutely. All right. Mason Jones, Craig Edwards, thank you guys so very much for being with us here today on Owl Pellets. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Please visit our webpage for more information on this topic and to learn more about all of our guests. Be sure to follow Owl Pellets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It would also be great for you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, we ask that you please take a moment and comment on our podcast so others can find it as well. So for Kate, Marshall, and Mike, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellet saying thank you and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.